Hey guys, welcome to the men's global live stream. Uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to hold just two spots, one in Isaiah chapter 55 and one in 2 Kings 5. We're in part three of a series we're calling Crazy Asks, and I wanna to start today just by making an observation and see if you agree. Uh, you ever notice that quick fixes to big problems are hard to come by, especially the embarrassing ones, right? Your computer crashes and you can't get it to work and you have an assignment due and you gotta tell your boss it'll be late, no quick fix. Or what about you're on your way to work and you know your, your coffee tips over and gets all over the, the clothes that you're wearing to work. Uh, you gotta put on the blinker, uh, you gotta go home, no quick fix, all right? Or what about this, dads? What, you ever been in this situation where, you know, you got a toddler or infant in your lap and that toddler or infant's digestive system decides to jettison the veggie carrot medley uh, that just went inside of it, outside and onto the restaurant floor, your friend's carpet, uh, someone else, right? No quick fix to that. Um, instead of a quick fix in each of those situations, uh, my point is, is that you've now got an extended process. It's not like there's, a, there's, there's duct tape for this, this situation. You got an extended process. You got to find a computer guy. You got to go home and change. There's, there's a mess that now you got to go get rags and, and clean it up and spot remover or uh, whatever. And are those moments embarrassing? Of course. Will you survive? Of course. Now, let's take it to the next level. What if you have a big personal and private problem, right? That problem is not just embarrassing because of the situation, but it's, it reflects on you. It's, it's shameful. And you desperately want help, but going public with your need is not an option. It's kind of like a problem cul-de-sac, right? Well, meet Naaman from the Bible. He has this exact situation going on. He has a personal issue he needs to solve. God providentially arranges circumstances to intervene and help, but makes a crazy ask of Naaman that will demand a ton of faith, right? And what we'll see is that his story is our story, and more importantly, that his process is our process. If we want to experience God's deliverance, if we want to experience God's power uh, in our lives on a regular basis, all right? You're also gonna see that Naaman is like every man, but not every man has the courageous, courageous faith that, that Naaman has, because really, it boils down to this. When there's no quick fix for a big problem uh, that you have, God's gonna ask you to risk putting yourself into a public process or a different process that's outside, listen, of a convenient process so that he gets the glory, right? You see, when it comes to solving my personal dilemmas, I know for myself, there's kinda my goals, right? I want the problem resolved, and there's the process that I wanna undergo. And usually, you know, that process should involve, uh, it's not public, it's private, it's quick, it's emotionally convenient, and it's not gonna demand a lot. That's, that's my goals, and that's the kind of process I want. Then there's God. All right, God has usually an entirely different set of goals when I have big problems. He's trying to accomplish very different things for his process, and then my process and God's process collide. And I know every guy watching us can identify uh, with that dilemma. Um, talks about this tension between our goals and process and God's goals and his process and his ways and thinking versus our ways and thinking. In Isaiah chapter 55, which is at the top 
of your downloaded notes, right? It says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So do you see how God is, 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 is setting up this, this whole situation where there's our ways and his ways, there's his thoughts and there's our thoughts, and only one way and one set of thinking prevails. And so let's make some observations based on the tension we see happening in Isaiah 55 from God's perspective. All right, first thing we need to see is that, is that God saw it coming. God saw it coming. He sees every process and person in 360 degree clarity all at once. We don't. That's why he can say with confidence, all right, my ways and thoughts are not your ways and thoughts. And guess what? My ways and thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts, all right? Because he sees everything coming. That problem that you're experiencing in your life that you want a quick fix to, he saw it coming, all right? Number two, God sees it now, all right? There is no personal issue in your life that you have, no personal circumstance, no private issue, all right? No secret that God does not see with perfect clarity right now, which allows him to say what he says in Isaiah 55. All right, number three, God sees where it's headed. All right, God sees it coming. God sees it now. God sees where is it, where it's going. He has perfect foresight, all right, which is what we wish we would, we could have, right? But only God possesses perfect foresight. He sees the future and is there, and he sees you presently and is here. Why? Because he's God, all right? Fourth, God has a desire and direction for us. You see in the Isaiah passage that because his ways and thoughts are higher, um, he has a direction for everything that's going on, all right? He says, you know what? The rain and the snow come down from heaven. I have a purpose for that. It doesn't come back to me empty. There's a direction for that raindrop that's coming in the snow that melts from the snowpack. And it's going to make the earth bud and flourish. All right? This is really important. God likes to see things healthy and flourishing even when there's a thunderstorm. Even when you're like, oh man, can you stop the rain? Can you stop the trial? Can you stop the difficulty? God has a desire and direction for us, all right? And then lastly, just a simple observation, God's purpose and God's process will prevail. Write that down. God's purpose and God's process will prevail. He says, you know what? When I want something to happen, because I see it coming, because I see it now, because I see where it's headed, because I have a desire and direction, guess whose process is gonna prevail? And you can cooperate with that process or not cooperate with that process, but either way, whether you cooperate or don't, God's purpose is going to prevail. That's why he says, when I speak my desire, all right, when I speak my word, when my will goes out, uh, it's not going to return to be empty, but will accomplish what I desire, will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So whatever circumstance you, you find yourself in, God has allowed that circumstance, and God has a desire and direction for it, and his purpose and process will prevail, all right? So there's God's position. It's important to see life and what's going on and your issues from the perspective 
of God, all right? But like I said, a lot of times when we have issues or problems or things we'd like resolved, there's our goals and what the process we'd like to engage to get them solved and to get a deliverance uh, from, and then there's, there's God's, all right? And his is gonna prevail, but there's a pattern that we have, and here's where God gets a little uh, frustrated with us. It talks about it in Isaiah chapter 65, verses one and two. It says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. And I said, here am I, here am I. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people, listen, who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Did you catch that? The contrast between Isaiah 55 and 65, God's saying, hey, guess what? My thoughts, my ways, my processes, they're higher, they're better. I saw it coming, I saw, I see it now, I see where it's heading, uh, and, and you should tie into that. I'm gonna offer that to you, but then God's experience with his people, there's a little pattern that develops where they're like, I see your ways, thanks but no thanks. I see your thoughts, thanks but no thanks. And we, God's people, have a pattern. We want to decide, and so we walk in our way to get the solution, which is not good, and we pursue our own imaginations, our own thoughts about things at the expense of what God thinks. And the truest thing about anything is what God thinks is true. So uh, you've got this You've got this tension. God offers himself. God offers his process and ways. God offers his thoughts, and, um, and we reject them, all right? So that's a battle. That's total spiritual warfare because there's God, and the Bible says we're not him. He's the vine. We're the branch. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. It should be working this way, but then we flip it, and we walk in ways that are not good, and we pursue our own, and I love how the Bible is so honest. It's fantasy. We start acting like God, like we're in control. We take over the process, right? All right, so let's now get into Naaman's situation, and kind of the headlines for Naaman is he's got a big problem, and my guess is that uh, nine out of 10 of you, if the sociology, sociologists are correct, nine out of 10, 10 of you right now in this live stream have a problem in your life you would love to resolve, all right? That's what the research says. Now, Naaman is just like us. He's got a big problem he'd like to resolve, but there's no quick fix. And then God offers himself, but makes a crazy ask, all right? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get the backstory. We're gonna then go into the moment of what God asks Naaman to do to solve his problem, and then we're gonna look at the rest of the story. So let's get into the backstory. Let's learn a little bit about Naaman, all right? We read about that in 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, verses one through nine. It says this, now Naaman, listen in, was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, quote, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Quote, by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. So you get the picture, right? Here's a guy who has a big problem. He has a, a solution that comes, and we need to unpack just a little bit of what's going on so that we, we can relate to, to Naaman, all right? So three observations from the backstory, all right? First observation, you see a public man, and not just any public man. He's like super public, all right, at an Olympic level, all right? He's a five-star general. He's the commander of the army of a country, okay? That's kind of public. He's a great man. It says right there in the text. Highly regarded by his boss, all right? The king of that nation. Um, he's a winner, all right? He's valiant. He's brave. The text says he brought victory uh, to Aram. So if you want to find someone in the Bible who is large and very much in charge, it's Naaman, all right? So he's a very public, very highly regarded person, all right? Secondly, what we observe is that after being a very public man, he also has private misery. Write that down. Now, isn't that true for all of us? It doesn't matter how uh, famous you are. It doesn't matter what your brand is. It doesn't matter. You have a public life and a public persona and maybe even a public image. Naaman certainly did. But then you have uh, a very real private life, private pressures, private struggles. You know, this is what People Magazine is all about or the National Enquirer is all about or the tabloids are all about. They love public people going through private misery, all right? Now, what was Naaman's private misery? It was leprosy. You go through that whole resume, right, of commander, great, highly regarded, valiant, winner, victory all the time, but he had leprosy. So in that way, I really identify with Naaman. You know, I'm, I'm a public person, but I have private struggles that are really hard and uh and we all do and so that's what makes uh Naaman this sort of warrior regular guy what makes him regular is that he has private misery and struggles all right third what we observe is God's providential intention all right so God sees him God loves him God places a slave girl in his house, who is a Hebrew, who knows about the prophet, Elisha, who lives in Samaria, and there's this providential intersection. There's this, there's this divine mosaic where God loves Naaman. He sees him in his private misery, and God's got an intention and a purpose and a plan to intervene into that private misery. Isn't that great to know about God, that God would orchestrate this circumstance so that Naaman could have this providential intersection with this slave girl, and the big wheel of his life transformation and new trajectory is going to take place on the small axle of this almost worthless slave girl that's serving his mistress. Wow. The big wheels of his life are turning on that small axle. You know God's up to that right now in your life? You may not even know it. It's so amazing how the smallest of interactions, the smallest of circumstances, right? That small axle can turn the big wheel of your life forever. All right, so there's the backstory. Pretty cool. You got a dude. He's got a public-private split. All right, publicly, he's one person, he's known for this, but underneath that armor, he has a stigma. And can I just say that if you can remember when 
AIDS broke onto the scene and the stigma of having HIV, right? That's what leprosy was like in Naaman's culture. That's why the uniform stayed on and never came off. And in that way, we are a lot like Naaman, you and I. We kind of have this armor. Uh, we want to keep it on. Uh, we don't want it to crack. Uh, we don't want the spots, right? And on our character, the private flaws, right? We want those covered and we want people to see us uh, through our public lens, all right? So now let's get to what happens after, imagine this, a, a, a dude on a horse wearing armor, wearing a, a, a uniform, armored up, entourage, chariots, horses, pulls up to your pastor's house, all right? And now we roll the film. He doesn't even come out of the house. In 2 Kings 5, uh, it says this, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and he went in a rage. Remember that collision I was talking about a little earlier about problem, our goals to get it solved and our process, process to get it solved, and then God's goals and God's process, all right? And so we see this huge collision over who gets to decide how to solve the problem, all right? And the first thing we observe, write this down, is Naaman's expectation, all right? What is the nature of what Naaman expects to happen, all right? His expectation is what we were talking about earlier. His expectation is, I got a big problem and I want a quick fix to this embarrassing stigma and leprosy uh, that I have. And that quick fix is easy, it's uh, emotionally convenient, uh, and it fits all my parameters, all right? So we see Naaman's expectation. And then secondly, write this down, we see God's faith process, all right? God demands literal transparency, emotional transparency, all right? Recognizing, let everybody, it's like open kimono. I want you to go to a river uh, and I want you to take off all your armor and I want your problem exposed publicly and um, you're gonna have to trust me, all right? And, uh, and then you see, write this down, Naaman's prideful rejection, all right? And it looks really angry, right? But it's the root of the anger is personal pride, all right? Because he's not in control. Now here's a guy who's used to giving orders, all right? I'm large and in charge, I'm number one, everybody else is number two or lower, I decide how the process works. I decide what happens on the battlefield. I tell you what to do, you do it, all right? And God's process is you have no control. You have to surrender all control. Man, does that preach or what, right? I know there are many of you, you have, you have an issue right now and you're thinking like Naaman. Man, I would love to do this on the down low. I would love for there to be a quick fix to this big problem that I have in my life, and I don't know what it is, but um, you want control over the solution, all right? And God's saying to you right now, sorry, you control nothing. That's what he was saying to Naaman and got a reaction, personal pride. Secondly, you see the cultural pride, all right? Why can't I go back to Damascus? All right, it's a national thing. 
I am not sticking my body in the national symbol of another country, of Israel. All right. And so he has a little general's temper tantrum, right? And he starts ticking off rivers from his homeland that would be better than all the rivers <laughs> in Israel, right? There's a, a cultural pride, all right? And I know that, that, that we fight that. I mean, right now in this cultural moment, God's got solutions for us, but our cultural pride won't let us experience God's deliverance, all right, from some of the issues that we're facing or maybe some personal uh, issues. And then there's an intellectual pride. Uh, do you notice that Elijah didn't just say, hey, go take a little dip and then run out, dry off, and you'll be good? No. It's like, you got to go dip yourself, not one, not two, seven times, all right? That's seven up-downs. That's get in, go out, get in, go out, get in, go out. <laughs> you get the picture, right? Makes no sense, all right? And it doesn't fit um, Naaman's expectation, uh, but it also fits God's faith process. And so here's the collision. We got a prideful rejection. You know, there are many guys right now. God has offered you a solution, but you rejected it out of your pride. And you know what the Bible says about that pride? It says God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble, right? And so what are you going to do? Well, let's roll the film and read the rest of the story. It says this in 2 Kings 5. It says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. All right, entourage pulls up again. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in, in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm, I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elijah said. Wow, pretty good rest of the story, okay? And God now speaks to you and I in our problems that we would love a quick fix for, but he wants to take us through a process, his process, right? What, what did he say to Naaman? What's, what's the Holy Spirit saying right now to you and I through God's word, all right? Write this down. Number one, God's saying, a new perspective is needed for powerful changes. You need a new perspective. You know, when you don't get the process you want, uh, what are you gonna do, all right? You're saying no to the solution. God's offering you solution to your problem, your issue, even embarrassing ones, all right? But you're saying no to them. It is a good thing that Naaman had some friends. His servants really cared for him. They went to him, all right? And they gave him some new perspective, all right? You know, that, that perspective can come from a lot of spots. This is, a, this is the number one sport source where you're supposed to get your perspective. But then people like Naaman's friends who are very acquainted with God's word, God's desires, God's will, God's ways. 
they might like name and servants give you a perspective. You know, some of you have been seeking advice to solve your problem and because you haven't heard what you wanna hear, you've rejected the advice of some friends who gave you the right perspective in the Lord. In fact, I know I'm talking to some of you right now and you've rejected it. But you know what Naaman did? After he kinda dialed it down a notch, he listened. And you know what? Clearly he agreed with them and their assessment that Man, you're saying no to your to a solution to your misery. Just do it the way God wants you to do it. And the Bible says so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. Did he have to battle all that pride? I'm sure every step of the way he was battling that personal pride, that cultural pride, that intellectual pride. But in faith, the goal of being cleansed was stronger than his pride, which leads me to the next thing God is saying after, you know what? You need a new perspective. You need a fresh perspective to get a, a powerful change going in your life. Your press perspective is stale, and that is why your problem goes unresolved, all right? Secondly, God's saying to us and said to Naaman, trust my process over your pride. Trust my process over your, over your pride. When Naaman starts walking toward the river, he's trusting. He starts taking steps. Does he feel totally convinced of the outcome? He can't know in advance. He can't know before the fact what's gonna happen. But you know what? His hope for peace and cleansing and the end to his misery and the beginning of joy in his life is gonna happen. That hope is stronger than his fear. And so in faith, his hope pulls him forward. Can I just talk to a few of you out there? You hope to stop guzzling porn, paying for prostitutes, cheating on your wife. This is a huge issue. Seven out of 10 men deal with it. I know I'm in all the research for this issue, but you know what? You reject God's process, which means coming clean, getting help, telling the men in your Bible study group, getting some counseling, getting to the root of the issue. You know, you don't wanna go dip yourself in God's process, right? And I'm telling you right now, wouldn't it be great to be free? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to defeat the thing that's defeating you? For some of you, your pride is over your anger, right? For others of you, it's just accountability. For others of you, it's your marriage. I don't know what it is, but you gotta trust God's process over your pride. God is saying that to us right now as a community of men. Third, God's saying gratitude is a forever lifestyle, not an event. Do you see what Naaman wanted to do? He wanted to give Elisha a tip. He was grateful, big tip. Here, I brought a lot of money with me and I withdrew all this money. And the man of God does the right thing. It's like, oh, no, no. That's not the gratitude that, that's not the, the expression of gratitude that God seeks. You know, you know give me a, a gift of material resources. You know, you know Elisha, Elisha says, says no and refuse and Naaman pressed him. I mean, here's the guy who's used to having people do what he says. And, and he's like, no. And then, and then Naaman kind of flips and he's just like, all right. Now I just need, you know, I'm gonna take some dirt. I'm gonna load up some sacks, as much as mules can carry. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this to my home and I'm gonna make an altar where I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna be grateful forever. Cause I know that there's a God and that God is in Israel, all right? It's not the gods of Aram or Damascus, and, and I love that, that that's what happens in this. You know, it's like, no, not gonna take your money. And then God kind of impresses Naaman like, okay, you just, this needs to be your daily, all right? So guys, can I just talk to you for a sec? When God, when you engage God's process, which I'm praying that you will do, that you will trust his process over your pride, and when God delivers you, 
and you become grateful for that, all right? He doesn't need some payoff, some event of gratitude. Oh, I'm so grateful. No, you, you know what he wants? He wants your lifestyle and your life to be a thank you. You know, that, that's the response to his grace. When he delivers us, we don't deserve it. Usually we deserve the consequence, but when he delivers us into the joy of and freedom of his solution, he wants us to worship. He wants us to worship as a lifestyle. And Naaman has the right response. He gets there. And some of us need to get there. He wants our life to be a thank you. Fourth, God says, I judge intentions, not actions. This is a biggie in Naaman's story and should be a biggie in our lives. This, should, this is a big, big thing. You see, Naaman's going to go back home. He's, he's in a culture, but now spiritually he's not of that culture. He knows the God of Israel. He knows Yahweh. He's, he's not worshiping the gods of Aram anymore. And so he sees the conflict and he goes, okay, so I got a job and I serve a king, and my king worships, you know, he's in the world. He's, he's not in God like I am, and, and he's going to bow to the gods of the world, but I'm going to be with him when he's doing it, and may the Lord forgive me. And, and what Elisha says is just like, hey, go in peace, all right? Your, your body and the response of your body in your job, God knows your heart in this, and that's both comforting and, um, and, and a little bit scary for you and me. Here's why. Because when we do things with outward behavior, God's watching our hearts, so if our motives are wrong, you know, he calls our bluff. He doesn't see our religious actions. He sees our heart attachment and motives. But then on the other side of the continuum, uh, there are a lot of guys like who are just like Naaman, all right? We live in the world, but we're not of the world. And God knows our attachment to, to certain things isn't, that, that's not our God, you know? And so we're in it and he's put us there. Imagine uh, the conversations Naaman must have had when the king said, so how'd it go in Israel? You know, but you gotta be with him to have the conversation, right? There are some environments that I know God is, has put a few of you in that are very worldly, all right? He's showing me, and God wants to tell you, go in peace. You need to be there. You need to, to share the miracle of your deliverance with, with people who are serving false gods or people who don't know God. You need to tell them about Jesus and what he's done for you in your life. So as we walk through life, we are so like Naaman. We're, we're public men with private struggles, all right? And, and God is a lot of times saying, there, there's a process for this. There's no quick fix. But trust me, surrender control, put your pride on the shelf, and just do what I'm asking you to do. And that's usually a hard thing because it's a faith thing. Faith things are hard things. There's a tension between how we would want it to go and, and God's goal and process. Do that, and when God delivers you, when God's miracle, when God does a sign, a wonder, a healing, a reconciliation, he delivers you from addiction or porn or solves a problem at work or, or, or brings a deal right at the right time, I don't know what it is, but you're gonna trust him, you're gonna surrender control, and you're gonna um, get that new perspective. And you're gonna trust his process over your pride when he delivers, like Naaman, gratitude is a lifestyle, testimony, right? And don't worry about, you know, the non-essentials, which is maybe that you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Those people who are in the world and are of the world, they need the man who's not of the world, but is in their world, all right? I know I'm talking to many of you. And that's what this study is all about. So let's, let's wrap it up. All right, uh, question on the downloaded notes says this. So what does this, name and story, big problems, no quick fixes, God's goals, my goals, my process, God's process, all right, pride, faith process, new perspectives, what's that have to do with me, all right? 
Um, well, I may not have spots. I might not have leprosy or some other disease, all right, that I'm ashamed of. Um, but you know what I, I did have that really was a big problem and that I tried to fix in the wrong ways was my diseased soul. Sin. I had, a sin, I had a sin problem, and it manifested in a lot of cancerous character spots and behaviors and attitudes and actions. You know, I have a flesh, and that flesh led me into sin. And at the right time, God said, I have a solution. He said, you need to be cleansed, but you're going to have to humble yourself and you're going to need to receive my solution through Jesus. And you need to see yourself and see your need and then you need to see him and you need to get baptized spiritually into his person and into his work. That's what it teaches in Romans chapter 6, that we're baptized into his death, we're baptized into his resurrection. And guess what happens when we get baptized? We go under the water, we go, we get fully identified in him, we come up and our soul is new. There are some of you that are watching right now and you're like, I need that. I really need that. And there's some things going on in your life and it's because you have a diseased soul and you need to be made new. And you're like Naaman, you're proud. And you need um, some encouragement. Well, let me be your friend. And let me just tell you, wouldn't you do anything to get right with God? Wouldn't you do anything to have your conscience cleansed of shame and guilt and embarrassment and in God's eyes be washed clean that's how this applies to you all right now I'm gonna pray in a minute and I'm gonna give you a chance to get cleansed by Jesus Christ fully now some of you are believers and there's that tension now where You've made that decision that I just talked about. But you know what? You got disease in your life or you have an issue in your life or you have um, a besetting struggle, all right? One that just reaches up and grabs you and overwhelms you. And it brings shame and it brings embarrassment and the best disinfectant for it and the solution for it is light. What do I mean? You need to go to a friend that you trust and you need to tell that person what is happening. Preferably someone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Preferably someone who knows God's word and who will not just give you grace, all right, and acceptance, but will also tell you the truth which is gonna demand a faith process, all right? I'm just gonna tell you right now, the kingdom of God needs you. It needs you, but you need to get right with God. And you need to be cleansed of this. And you need to repent, because we need you. There's God's on the move right now in history, and you're a part of it, you're alive, and in your place and time, and your set of relationships, and God wants to bring a great miracle and, and then send you back out just like you did Naaman, right into the places where you walked around with your little secret, but now you're gonna talk about your freedom and your deliverance through Jesus Christ, all right? So that's what this has to do. And, and it talks about uh, these two things. Uh, in the first spot in Titus chapter three, it says this, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, easy marks for sin, ordered every which way by our glands, that's funny, going around with a chip on our shoulder, 
hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing, and we had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good faith, and we came out of it, new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift restored our relationship with him and has given us back our lives, and there's more life to come. An eternity of life, you can count on this. I'm gonna pray in a minute, and some of you are gonna experience that eternal life and that cleansing of Jesus. But for you believers out there that are battling, here is your process. Mark chapter eight, verse 35, Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Jesus is saying there's a tension. You need to let go of one thing to take hold of another thing. You need to take a risk and surrender to God's process and bring it into the light and talk in confidence with someone, listen to what they say, and if it's biblical, do what they say. So I want everybody watching this to put down their pencils, just, just bow your heads. If you're in a space right now where you can get on your knees, get on your knees, man of God, and I'm gonna pray. God, we come before you this morning uh, seeing Naaman with perfect clarity, he is every man. Every man has a public life and a private life. And so many of us, God, right now, our private life, there is just, there's misery, there is sin, there is, there is pornography, there is, there's a leprosy of character. There's things that we don't want to do, that we do, the kind of man that we want to be, uh, we're not, and we're just stuck. And so, Lord, I thank you that you can give us this new perspective by looking at the story of Naaman and we see ourselves in him. And, Lord, thank God for friends that told him, do what you got to do. And it gave him a new willingness to surrender to your process. And so right now, men all over right now are surrendering to God's process. If that's you, just say to God right now, I'm surrendering to your process. And some of you that are right now surrendering to God's process, the, the risk that you need to take right now is to give up total control of your life to Jesus Christ. Just tell God right now, God, right now, I am surrendering total control of my heart and my life, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to your son, Jesus Christ. And right now, God, in faith, I ask to be covered and forgiven and cleansed and baptized into Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, right now, I trust your person. You are God. Lord Jesus, I trust what you did for me on the cross, shedding your blood. And I receive for myself right now that inner cleansing and I receive your love I receive your active love and your grace and your mercy for me you have control of my life fill me with your Holy Spirit right now and guide my life direct my life take over my mind Take over my ways. Take over my thinking. Lead me and fill me right now. Now, there are a lot of you men. You have prayed a prayer similar to that. You have a relationship with God. But God is asking you to decide. You going to do it your way or are you going to do it my way? And you need to say to God, just say it just like this. Say, God, you get to decide. Say it right now. I want your process for, and fill in the blank. Some of you need to say, God, you get to decide, and I want your process for this lust and porn problem that I have. I'm going to take a faith step. 
Some of you guys need to say, God, I want your process for my marriage. Some of you guys need to say, God, you got the process for this work thing. And you know the situation, right? Some of you need to say, God, I want your process for my finances. Whatever it is, just say, God, you get to decide. And I want your process for this problem in my life, this issue, this obstacle. And then all of us need to pray, God, deliver us. Deliver us. Deliver us. Lord, deliver us from ourselves, our flesh, the world, the devil. Lord, help us to be grateful like Naaman. God, cause a spirit of gratitude to rise up inside of us. And if things are sweet for you, be grateful and celebrate today. All right? If things are bitter for you right now, be grateful as well. But then grow. So, Lord, we're, we're naked. The armor is off. You see our hearts. You see real men. You see the real me. You see my motives. And Lord, we recognize our, our accountability for a lifetime is you. So whatever you call us to do, whatever it takes, whatever dipping seven times in the Jordan looks like for us, we're going to do it because we love you. And we're so grateful for our salvation and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's men said, amen. All right, guys, on the second page of the downloaded notes are some really important discussion questions. And if you're watching by yourself, print out the notes, and I want you to maybe invite a friend to go through the study with you and then, and then talk about those. That could be the first step. For others of you, the first step is just to let me know, all right? Kenny L at everymanministries.com. I'll, I'll be your first step, but you know what? It's going to go from there to someone else. Someone in, in your men's group, someone who's a Christian that you trust, um, maybe a pastor, all right? But you got to take that next step, and, and you need to get with people and be transparent. And um, like Naaman did, he had to. Um, and if you need support or help, please um, let us know when you send us a note. And uh, make sure you invite a friend next week. This is, this is for every man, all right? So I'm praying for you. All right. God bless you. Have a powerful week in Jesus name. Amen.